Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. So the scripture for today comes from Psalms chapter 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willingness, a willing spirit, and sustain me. The word of God for the people of God. Uh, so my name is Brittany, and I'm the pastor, and it's really good to have you guys here. Today we are continuing our sermon series called Naked. And it is about getting vulnerable with God. You can see the nice little slide we have there. And what we're talking about today, in case you couldn't tell through all the great music and the wonderful testimony, is we're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness comes in many forms and angles. There's the forgiveness that we have to have with other people. There's the forgiveness that other people have to have for us. And there's our forgiveness that we have to have for ourselves. And in the midst of all of that forgiveness, the undercurrent, the through line, the thing that helps us do all of those acts of forgiveness is God. God's forgiveness for us. That is the foundation of how we have the ability to forgive others. As we begin this time today, I want to invite you to think of a situation that needs forgiveness. To think of a situation, maybe it's something that invites, that, that causes your chest to tighten and your pulse to quicken. Something that causes anxiety or anger or sadness, but some sort of situation in your life that needs forgiveness. Because I want this to be kind of workshoppy, right? It's, it's really good to come here on a Sunday morning and be inspired but I want, and the gospel calls us to transformation. So do you have that situation? Okay, let's pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. May we be open to this path of forgiveness. May the things that cause us unrest and anger 
sadness and fatigue be the point at which you meet us in these words and in the days ahead. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, this is going to be a long sermon. I hate holding the handheld. We're going to do it. Pray for me, guys. So we begin this time today with a scripture passage that immediately gets real, right? This is a real scripture passage of confession. And I want to tell you a little bit about this backstory because the, the scripture passage is good, but it, it's going to be even more interesting when you know the backstory of, the, of what's been happening. This psalm is often attributed to King David. We know David as that little guy, if, if, if you guys have read the Bible before, as that little guy who um, used the slingshot to, to get Goliath, right? That little shepherd boy who grow, grew up to become a king of Israel. David did a lot of awesome, good things. And he also did some really, really awful things to, um, as well. You know uh, the Ten Commandments? Maybe you know those. There's you know, stuff in there about not murdering, not lying, not coveting your neighbor's wife, not, not um, committing adultery. Well, he broke like all of these commandments. So here's his story. Late one afternoon after his nap, apparently... King David takes a nap every day. Scriptures tell us at least. After his nap, he's walking on the roof of his palace and he spies a woman who is bathing. And he is, it takes his breath away. She does. And then that sort of admiration and beauty turns into obsession. And he begins to obsess with this woman that he saw bathing. So much to the point that he sends a word to try to figure out who she is. He discovers her name is Bathsheba, and she is the daughter of Eliam and the, uh, the wife of a, one of his warriors named Uriah. David is so obsessed with her that he sends his people to Bathsheba's house to bring her to his palace, and then the scripture says he slept with her. Now, I want to go ahead and... Um, give dignity to anybody that has ever been sexually assaulted and say that he raped her. It doesn't say that in the scripture passage, but um, based on what we know of patriarchal culture and based on how we know that um, if a king sends for you and then brings you to the palace and then sleeps with you, it let's just name it, right? So he does this evil deed, um, and then he releases her. A couple of months later, she sends word that she's pregnant. Trying to fix the situation, David sends, Ur- sends for Uriah to come home. And when he comes home, he gets an update on the battle. How's it going? And then he says, why don't you go be with your wife? Thinking that maybe if Uriah sleeps with his wife, then everybody will assume that um, the pregnancy is from Uriah. Uriah is a righteous man and a good man, and he says, I can't, there are so many people in battle right now um, losing their lives. I I am in solidarity with them. I cannot celebrate with my wife. I cannot eat good food until this battle is over. And so David thinks, well, let me try another technique. So he tries to get Uriah drunk, and he figures if maybe if Uriah is drunk, he will go to his wife, and, and the pregnancy can, you know, be thought of to come from Uriah. 
Uriah does not do this. And so David has to come up with a plan C. He uh, sends Uriah to the front line of battle, knowing that that was the bloodiest spot and that it was certain to send him to his death. Are you counting the sins here? Uriah dies and Bathsheba grieves. After this time of uh, mourning is over, David sends for Bathsheba, and it says he marries her. It's a very hard story to hear, isn't it? Eventually, uh, the messenger and prophet Nathan says to David, David, this is disgraceful, all that you have done. And um, after hearing all of this, David somehow comes to his senses, and he says, the scripture has it in there in, in, uh, first, in 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, I have sinned against God. He realizes what he has done. And it is out of this, then, you can sort of imagine him putting pen to paper and writing his confession that we see as the 51st Psalm. It's quite a backstory, isn't it? He writes in the opening words, have mercy on me, God. It took someone wiser than David to help him see the error of his ways. It took someone to speak truth to him in the midst of all of the damage and hurt and pain he had caused. It took all of that for him to come to himself and, and make himself vulnerable to come before God and confess his sins. One thing that you'll see in this scripture passage is David caused a lot of hurt and pain to people in, our, in the world. And yet the first place that he made confession was to God. And I don't think we often think about that. We think, oh, I've hurt this person. I need to apologize to this person. But because every person is a child of God, our confession also has to be to God. I uh, heard a story recently about a presidential candidate, I won't name which one, but you can infer, who, uh, who says he's a Christian. And uh, somebody asked him when he was in Iowa about forgiveness. And he sort of scoffed and said, I have never asked God for forgiveness about anything. And I think, man, how can you be undergoing this gospel life of transformation and never once turn to God and say, God, I really messed this up. It's not because we're bad people that we mess up. I, I think we are inherently good, right? We look to Genesis, the first thing that God says about the creation of humanity is it is very good. And yet the very real reality is that each and every one of us, including David, have uh, what we'll call the human propensity to F things up, right? We are so good, and yet we have this propensity to F things up. And so confession, like we see in the psalm today, is the way that we can realign ourselves with God and to say, God, Boy, I've really effed this situation up. It is to get outside of our false ego, the ego that tells us we're doing fine, we don't need any accountability. 
and to be humble and vulnerable to God. To confess and say, I know I can do better. I think actually God delights in our confession, not because God needs us to confess, but because God delights when we are open and vulnerable enough to be in that place and share our life fully with God. Remember how we've been talking about this sermon series is a prayer is, is a shared life with God. So, for, so confession and asking for forgiveness is a way for us to open ourselves up to a shared life with God. And when we knew this, we experience the joy of God's salvation, as the scripture says, right? We get to see our, our perspective becomes just a little bit more God-like. We get a glimpse of, of the vision of God where everything will be restored. We see ourselves as good and loved. And all of this happens because of the grace of God. Now, some of you might be looking at me and saying, Brittany, really? I've read the scriptures. Are you sure grace of God is the best way to characterize this God that we see in all of the books of Bible? Sometimes God doesn't feel very grace-like to me. Anybody have that thought? No? Okay, one person so I can keep going. Good. I know the character of God is graceful because of many stories in scripture, but in this passage today, I see that characterized in the first line of scripture. God's character is described using three key Hebrew words that communicate God's grace. Hanan, Hasid, and Rahamim. These three words roughly translate as mercy, gracious, and motherly compassion. So see, we can confess to God all, all of this human propensity to F things up, all the ways that we've F'd things up. We can confess that knowing that we will be met with grace, mercy, and motherly compassion. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? And perhaps it is when we meet God and receive that grace that mercy, and that motherly compassion that we can begin to have the capacity to forgive ourselves for some of the stuff that has happened to. Speaking of forgiving ourselves and others, I heard there was quite a discussion this week in many of the small groups around if David deserved to be forgived, forgiven. Did any of you guys have that discussion in your small group? How many of you think that his actions were awful and he doesn't deserve to be forgiven? Raise your hand. How many of you think that he does deserve to be forgiven, that he was contrite and he does deserve to be forgiven? Okay. I'm just going to answer this right now. This is just my opinion, but I'm going to make it sound like it's absolute. <laughs> he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. See, we, that, that's the point of grace. There's not anything that you can do to deserve it or not deserve it. It just is. It sort of begs the question, like, what, 
if you think he deserved to be forgiven, what can you do to deserve to be forgiven? It, the question then is like, well, what offenses deserve to be given? Is it the small offenses deserve to be uh, forgiven? Or do or, you get what I'm saying, right? Like how do you, uh, if you turn your life around and you devote it to service, does that mean you deserve to be forgiven? Like what can you do to deserve forgiveness? Nothing. That's the point, right? It just is. Nobody deserves to be forgiven. We get this idea of deservedness because we live in a system of meritocracy, right? And so we get this idea, if I do X, then I deserve Y, right? If I am good, then I deserve for things to go my way, right? If I do something bad, then I don't deserve. We, we have this idea, right? But, but God turns that all upside down and, and, and shows us that we are met by grace and compassion, motherly compassion and mercy before we even confess. So do you get that? You can't earn forgiveness. It just is. If we can let that sink in, then the hope would be that we can extend that grace and mercy and motherly compassion to others. But I wonder how often we do that. Do we really do that? I was talking to someone a couple of weeks ago and she was telling me about a really difficult situation she had been through and I asked the question, have you forgiven the person? And she said, well, no, not until so-and-so apologizes will I forgive that person. Does that sound familiar? Yeah. But the problem is when we approach it from that standpoint, we are putting our happiness and our freedom in the hands of the other person. When we put our forgiveness, when we make it contingent upon the other person's actions, we are tied to them, right? And not to mention, what if that person dies or ends up in a coma? We could never forgive them then if they, if they didn't express you know, forgiveness. Listen to this. One of the, one of the most um, influential theologians in my life, um, I've got a whole other story that I can't, can't share today, is Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And he says this. I've got it on a slide because it's kind of a long quote. Until we forgive, we remain locked in our pain and locked out of the possibility of experiencing healing and freedom. Locked out of the possibility of being at peace. Without forgiveness, we remain tethered to the person who harmed us. We are bound with chains of bitterness, tied together, trapped. Until we forgive the person who harmed us, that person will hold the keys to our happiness. That person will be our jailer. When we forgive, we take back control of our own faith and our feelings. We become our liberators. We don't forgive to help the other person. We don't forgive for others, we forgive for ourselves. Forgiveness, in other words, is the best form of self-interest. This is true both spiritually and scientifically. I think Dan's testimony it is a witness to that. He forgave for himself. 
Forgiveness cannot be contended on the accent of others, but I think sometimes I, we, we uh, conflate or we confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. We think that if in order to forgive, the other person has to be involved. That's reconciliation, which is part of forgiveness. It's where the two parties can come together, but sometimes the two parties can't come together, and that doesn't mean that we still can't forgive, right? I want to recommend a book to you. If, do you still have that thing close to your heart that's gnawing at you? I want to recommend a book to you. Um, last, our last Lent, we did an entire sermon series on forgiveness, and so if this is like you're in here and talking today and thinking, oh, wow, I've got a lot, I got a lot to work to do on this. I recommend going back and listening to some of those podcasts. Just after we finished that sermon series, a really great book came out. It's by uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu and his wife, or his uh, daughter, Impo Tutu. And it is called The Book of Forgiving, The Fourfold Path of Healing for Healing Ourselves and Our World. And I highly recommend it to you. It is part workbook, part uh, reading, part uh, meditation, um, and it allows you to sort of work this path of forgiveness. Uh, and this guy, he knows what he's talking about. He is, the, he is the one that headed up the Truth and Reconciliation Committee that helped South Africa when it was freed from apartheid to not turn and have the um, oppressed become oppressors, but to really work uh, truth and reconciliation um, for a new way of ruling South Africa. It is a great book, and he's just awesome. <coughs> But see, forgiveness is not something we can just decide to do and do it. It's about making ourselves vulnerable and open to ask God to help us into that process, right? We can't just decide one day, I think I'll forgive, and it's done. It has to be this journey of, of allowing God, since God is the chief forgiver. I want to take a moment and tell you about the hardest thing that I've ever had to forgive. And it is... It was the church. I've talked to many of you before, and I know that maybe that might also be something that you've had to forgive. Um, because I'm not talking about like a local church or a specific church. I'm talking about the big C church, the, you know, the church universal. Because I don't know about you, but I have found the church universal, the big church, to be homophobic. I found it to be sexist. I found it to be racist. Anything else you guys find it to be? Classist. Judgmental. Man, just keep it coming, guys. Maybe we need to confess as a church, right? And so I was having a really hard time forgiving it. I finished seminary, and I dropped out of the ordination process. And I took a, a job at the church of Starbucks, right? And I found a local church to be a part of, and that was great. But I still was angry at this big C church. Angry at the, the ways that it was causing harm in the world. And still is today, let's be honest. I had a really hard time, though, uh, when you're angry at, like, a big C church, I had a really hard time of figuring out where to direct my anger right? Because it's not the local church. I liked my local church, but it was just this bigger church. And so I ended up, um, I don't know if this is healthy, but I ended up finding like two or three, these older 
guys that had been in the church for a long time and were sort of the head of the super conservative movement in the United Methodist Church. And all of my anger and venom and wrath was placed on these three guys. I mean, they don't know it. One of them I was in relationship with at the time. Man, I thought some really mean thoughts that I don't want to share with you. Because I was so angry at them. And, and they, for me, became the, everything that was wrong with the church. A little bit later, I was part of this local church that was so awesome. And um, I did this small group. And it was one part storytelling and one part about forgiveness. And in the first week of our small group, we were invited to think of a situation, sort of like I asked you all to think about a situation. And to kind of sit with that for the week. And then the next week, we were invited to write out the story. Write out all the things that happened. And the next week, we were invited to edit it and refine it and continue to shape that story. And then the next week... We had to meet up with somebody else in our group one-on-one and tell that story. Share where we were hurt. And be really open and vulnerable. And can I tell you, I went through like one or two packs of those little tissues telling my story, wiping away tears. And then we were invited in that twosome to begin praying to ask God to help us to forgive. And I would love to say that in that moment, the chains fell off and I felt free and it was amazing, but that did not happen. Instead, what happened was what I'll describe as a thaw. Dan spoke about this beautifully. He said it took 12 years, right, of praying. It was a thaw that began to happen. And after about six months, I looked back on that situation and I thought, you know, I'm not quite as angry as I was. My venom is not quite as poisonous as it was. And then about six months later, I looked back again and and I thought, yeah, the anger has lessened and I began to think and dream about being a pastor again. And then I can stand, you know, this is seven to eight years ago, I can stand here today and say I'm not angry at those people. I'm not in relationship with them. But I've let that anger go, right? I didn't realize it, but uh, thanks to my small group, I was going through this process of forgiveness that Desmond Tutu and his daughter outlined in their book. If You can throw that up there. They tell us to first tell the story, to write down the facts, to to think about the situation and where you've been hurt, and to name that hurt. And then they ask you to pray for forgiveness, to grant that forgiveness. I don't think we can do that on our own. I don't think we can actually will ourselves to forgive. I think it's a gift from God. So pray about that. And then how are you going to either renew or release the relationship? 
They say in most cases, unless you are, unless there is harm in that relationship and it's a security, uh, you want to go for a renewal. And it may mean the relationship's the same. Once, once you've been hurt, the relationship can never go back to how it was, right? But to renew it in a new way forward. Are you still thinking about that situation in your life? Do you still have something that you're holding on to that's full of anger? Perhaps grief? Any good sermon um, offers homework. And so my homework for you this week is to do this. To do this. Find a friend, a loved one, and tell them the story. Name where you were hurt. And begin to open yourself up to that vulnerable place of forgiveness. So that your relationship with that situation is either renewed or released.